are the voyages of the starship Therapize. Its continuing mission, to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. supposed to report to the bridge 35 minutes ago. Oh, sincere apologies, Captain. I'm just trying to get through this dungeon and light the torch with Alistair. Alistair? We don't have anyone on board named Alistair. No, no. This isn't Dragon Age origin, sir. Alistair's a character. He's my choice romance option, and I'm trying to ensure that I get enough approval points early on so that- I'm gonna stop you right there, my Vulcan friend. Oh, why? You can explain this once we get to the bridge. I know it's night shift, but IRL duties come first. Hmm. Fair enough. Hi, friends at home. I'm Justine Maston, LMFT, Yogini, writer, and captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard. And I'm Laura Sigarski, LMFT, writer, researcher, Spockian first officer, and today we are discussing one of my most favorite forms of play, video games. Just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not mean that we are your therapists. Unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. You interviewed me about my my love of the play in f- the form of game shows. Mm-hmm. And today, I will question you about your love of the form of play video games. Yes, 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 you will. That is the plan. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... It would have been a really good idea for me to set this up like a game show, so I also could have gotten my needs met. But it's not all about me. Oh, uh, that's true. Hopefully your very like formal introduction there met at least a few of your needs. <laughs> it, it felt pretty good. Um, so on my app, you asked me to to do the... I I am born, I grow up. And so I will ask you to do your Houdini, not Houdini, Copperfield. Copperfield. Copperfield, yes. I don't know how your brain connected those two, but I love it and I'm here for it. Like maybe some like Houdini Copperfield fanfic. <laughs> of course they're lovers. Why wouldn't they be? Slash fic. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> Um, I know I talked about this a little bit on an episode, but I think that was many a year ago. Um, at least 10 years in emotional years. Probably like two in real uh, chronological time, linear time. Um, but my first, the first memory I have of video games is of Pac-Man. Oh, I love Pac-Man. 
So when I was a kid, my parents were really into skiing and we would go skiing in this like tiny little town in the Upper Peninsula in Michigan called Wakefield. And after a full day of skiing, we would return to this place called Club 28, which I thought was the best place ever, but was really this like hole in the wall bar. <laughs> and all they served was like pizza and beer and wings. <laughs> I was not about chicken wings, but I was about the pizza. It was so great. I'm certain that it would not hold up as an adult, but as a child in my memory, like this, this was it. Mm. Um, and so there was like a few little like stand-up sort of arcade games here in Club 28 and Pac-Man mm. was the one that worked the most often. <laughs> it, was the, it was the least often broken. It was the least often broken, though I still have memories of like getting quarters, feeding it in and like nothing would happen and being like very sad. No. And then what I would do is, because somehow like it, it wouldn't play, but it would still sort of be on and you could watch like the little demo of the pac-man so i remember standing there and like playing the controls and pretending that i was playing oh that's really sweet and and a beautiful <sighs> example of play yes absolutely that if you get creative you can just you can just imagine you can parasocial your way in like a little fandom attachment parachute which i did um <laughs> But I loved it, and I would. Rem I remember, like, I my memories. I was pretty good about taking turns with my sibling, but they might disagree. Um, and that began a lifelong love of video games, which during my childhood was in profound conflict with my parents and their opinions on video games. And they were both staunchly anti-video game. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what what you're talking about right now is arcade games. Yes. Were they anti-arcade games? Were they anti-any sort of video game play? I think that if... Because I like came of age in the 1990s and early 2000s when arcade games were very much like going out of fashion. Mm -hmm. I think if there had been the ability to go to arcade games, they probably would have not been thrilled with that. Mm -hmm. But I think that like this game sort of like made it into sort of this like gray realm that they allowed because for some reason if you had to get up and go to a game and stand while you played it that met the threshold of real interaction if you were sitting at home on your tukus <laughs> and playing the game for hours and hours then you were not engaging with real life or real imaginative play and your brain was turning into soup Okay. All right. I mean, I'm. I don't agree, but I see where they're coming from. Yes, I do too. Be like as an adult, I do. As a child, I was like, "This is terrible." <laughs> <laughs> right, because an arcade is social. Like you are mm -hmm. going to a a social place with other and... children. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, and like there's there's some standing, so there's some movement. Yes. And I think it felt like close enough to to like board games where you're it's social, you're sort of playing with others, you have to negotiate mm -hmm. the sharing of games that they were like, okay, this is this is social enough. <laughs> Ram that, enough. Enough. That we will allow this. But there was no purchasing of video games for the home. There was no handheld games. Like even what was it, like Tamagotchis were these tiny little things pre-iPhone games that you would hold and kind of play with, those were not allowed. So how did you, 
how did you play? How did you discover that you liked video games? Because like I, I was also a fan of arcade games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, F- fucking love me some arcade games. Yeah. Um, re- we should find it, an arcade someday right? when we can go out in public. You and I should definitely. We find should go an to the arcade. arcade. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, we talked on the last up about how I really like rules. And arcade games are all about rules. They sure are. <laughs> you have a you have a job, and you do that, and you will level up. Uh huh. <laughs> and then you can put your name on the little roster list, and when you're out of coins, you're out. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Chef's yes. kiss. So how? Yeah. How did you discover that you liked video games? Like, how did you get access to them? Um. I had some friends when I was growing up in elementary school whom my parents very much approved of, and they were really into video games. Mm. And so I would go over to their houses to play. And I made sure to really lean into the ambiguity of the word play. (laughs) I did not get specific about what we were doing. I was very careful about the stories that I told when I would return from said mm-hmm. sojourns with friends. I made sure to highlight the activities that we did outside. And in all fairness to like me and my parents, my hunch is like they knew what was happening. They were not mm. they were not dull or dim, I guess is the word I'm looking for. They, they probably knew. <laughs> they probably they were they, sharp knives. They ooh, they sure were. Um so they probably knew what was going on, but I think they thought it was okay because, like, we did a pretty good job when I would go to my friend's house of, like, equally dividing it between, like, outside games mm-hmm. and inside video games play. But that was where I got access to things like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter and this, like, old school X-Men game that was so hard and no one ever made it past the first level. <laughs> Like, I have this memory of, like, sitting down with my two friends, and we devoted an entire afternoon trying, trying to get through this game, and I was so excited before we sat down to do this to play it, I remember my friend Mitchell looking at me, and he was like, no, Larissa, he's like, you're really not going to like this game. <laughs> he's like, it's not going to work. And I was like, no, it's going to work. The three of us are here. We're going to figure this out. And we, we tried very hard, and we did not figure it out. Um... <laughs> But that, and so that began a very long history for me of being very disappointed by the multimedia involving X Men. Oh no! You know, because I've never been a big fan of any of the X Men movies except for Logan. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, X Men Breaker, right? X Men video games have historically been quite disappointing. They are mm-hmm. either too hard, or there's like no story of which to speak. Um. But yeah, that was my early experience. Ooh, and these particular friends had something called Sega Channel. Which in the 1990s was an add-on from your cable system. And you could play it with like your Sega video game system and it gave you access to all of these fun games. And it was amazing. But then when I was in the fifth grade, my family moved away. And thus began 10 plus years of no video game access and a very dark time in my life. Oh, this is so sad. This is, this is almost as sad as Logan. I mean, you know, there are some definite parallels, but I never was able to shoot things out of my hands. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then, I mean, like, I didn't, and like, that just continued. I didn't have access to video games. And then it really wasn't until I met my partner that I got back into video games. Because okay. he was, he was really into them. Yeah. But you had a 10 year hiatus. It was like, it was probably more like 15 years. Because I didn't meet my partner until I was like 25. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what I like instant that you were back into it or did it take some some coaxing that's a good question my recollection is one day it was like what it was like sunday night maybe and we lived in the same neighborhood in minneapolis we both lived in loring park <clears throat> and i hadn't seen him for a while because i think he was like traveling but he was back and I texted him and I was like, hey, let's hang out. And he was like, I am playing video games and doing laundry. And I was like, great, I'll come over. And he was like, I am playing video games and doing laundry. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. He was like, that's all I'm doing, though. You would just be hanging out and I will be doing laundry and playing this video game called Mass Effect. And I was like, totally cool. I'm in. <laughs> he very much thought I was lying. <laughs> <laughs> I think he thought I had designs of like perhaps like different and other activities. Um, but I came over and he indeed did do his laundry and I watched mm -hmm. him play uh, Mass Effect 2 and it was one of the loyalty missions involving Miranda. And I was like totally hooked as I was watching him play. I was like, this is great. I'm going to play. Can I play at your house? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yes. Not expecting this reaction, but like very much supportive of it. And so the first game that I think I played, I think it was Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. Isn't that not the best game? I mean, I love it. I think it's a great game, but it, mm -hmm. I had to play it on the Wii, which was the Nintendo S Switch before its time. It was like the progenitor of the Nintendo Switch. And... What made this very hard for me is that you had, a, they were like two separate controllers that you used in each hand. And if you move, and like one of the controllers was supposed to respond to your hand movement. Mm. So I had to do specific hand waves while pressing, pressing buttons with my right hand. And then there was this little sort of like rolly ball thing that controlled the camera. Oh, yeah, that's that's just a lot to do. It's not like when I used my Wii to play tennis. Right. No, <laughs> it was not like that. It was very much like relearning how to video game on hard mode. Mm -hmm. um, and there were definitely times in the beginning where I would get very frustrated because I was very bad <laughs> mm -hmm. in the beginning. And this like opens up you know, like a bigger issue with video games, which is that it's very hard to get into video games as an adult mm -hmm. because they are very much designed and created with the understanding that like you, the player, have been playing for a very long time. And if you want to get into video gaming as an adult, like there, I think there's like a high level of commitment required, though I think it's gotten a bit better in the last like five or so years. There have been more games that have come out that have been a little bit more user friendly. Um, but when I was learning as an adult, I would not call that a user-friendly experience. Mm. Yeah. So, but what, what had you hooked in? Such a good question. I don't know. Um, 
there's always been something really appealing to me about the cinematic quality of video games, but then being mm-hmm. able to like actively control what's happening. Like fanfic. It's like fanfic. Mm-hmm. And it probably made sense to me because as a kid, like you and I have talked about, I wrote a lot of fanfic either in my head or writing it down. Mm-hmm. So like I had a lot of trouble when I was a kid falling asleep. And so one of the ways that I would try to help myself fall asleep is I would think about a fandom that I was really into at the time. It was usually X-Men or Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. I loved Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Me too, my friend. And I spent many a night writing stories about either the X-Men or Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Never a crossover. Good. I don't, I don't like those universes together. No, I agree. It did not work well. Um, but like usually I would start with the X-Men and then I would get like too excited and I would have trouble sleeping. And then Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, I would like write in my mind. <laughs> and it was more soothing and it was a way to soothe myself to sleep. And video games then allowed me to be like an active, a more active participant in this like imaginative fanfic world building that I'd done ever since I was small. Hmm. Yeah, I th- that's something. When you talk about that, it makes me feel like I could really get into video games because clearly mm-hmm. I like fanfic, and it's oh, like yes. there's it's like there's all these trailheads. Mm-hmm. But I get overwhelmed with the number of trailheads. Yes, I have that problem too. And I think that's why, and I remember my partner and I talking a lot about like, what game should I start with? Mm-hmm. He was very concerned about me starting on the Wiimote. He was like, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this will be learning how to play again on hard mode. But the reason we have, we went with it is that in the early days of Zelda, I mean, actually, I shouldn't even say that. Breath of the Wild is a big departure for Zelda because it's open world. Mm-hmm. Prior to Breath of the Wild in the Legend of Zelda video game series, like, it was a set path laid out. There was one mm-hmm. trailhead. Mm-hmm. And then as you got out in the game, there were maybe, like, two or three, like, side trailheads, but it was very clear what was the main story, what was the main journey mm-hmm. that you were walking on with Link as your avatar. And that was so helpful for me because if I had started with Breath of the Wild... That would have felt so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. In addition to being overwhelmed by what the fuck I was doing with all of these <laughs> <laughs> the Wii consoles, the Wii mode, and buttons and dials, and like, whoa, no, that would not have worked. But because it was a very clear track that I was walking on, I could follow it. I wasn't overwhelmed. They had these like, be- and like Zelda does a beautiful job of these like very cinematic cutscenes. Mm-hmm. It was great. Hmm. So it it sounds like it it's like a a really long movie that you, yes. oh it's like a choose your own adventure book. Yes, yes, that's a wonderful way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Simplified down. That was what appealed to me about it. Choose your own adventure, but in a movie, and I'm inter- and I felt more like I was more interactive with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. I get that. That makes sense. Yeah. I I recall they tried to do that in Hollywood for a hot minute. Um, Like, choose your own ending Mm to movies. Like, I mean, they did it with Clue. Um, They did. Yeah. But I don't know that... I don't know that anybody actually got to choose. I think it was... No. I think it was chosen for you. It was a red herring. (laughs) Well done. Good Clue callback. 
Yes. <laughs> Have we ever watched Clue for this show? Um, I don't think so. I've watched it for many other reasons. Right. Maybe we should. We could do that and like play Clue or something. <gasps> oh, that would be really fun. It would. I love me a good Clue board game. Mm-hmm. And then sometime we could play the philatelic game where you collect stamps from all over the world. Uh, we could. I've never heard of this game, but I'm down. <laughs> um, maybe we could do an app on, on board games. And I can tell you That's... all about the stamp collecting board game that my dad got me where you collect stamps from around the world. <laughs> this sounds great. <laughs> I'll see I'm if it totally still exists. For it. Okay. I love Barbados. They had the best stamp. That makes sense. I always loved when I was a kid saying the word Barbados. It's it's got a great sound. Mm-hmm. Do you think he got me that game so I would learn geography? Aww. He probably did. I mean, he definitely wanted me to learn about stamps. That was Yes. There was But I mean he pr- he probably no looked at that and he was like that. he was like, This is a two for one. <laughs> She's gonna learn about stamps and maps of the world. <laughs> Where is Barbados? I'd be like, I don't know. But I know what the stamp looks like. <laughs> it sounds in the southern hemisphere is what I know. It's an island. <laughs> All right. Well, yes, I... but it's choose your own adventure in video games. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And then how does that... I don't know. How does that help you make meaning? Or what is what does that fill up for you? I think early on, because I I got back into it when I was getting to know my partner, Mm -hmm. I think it became a part of how we how we bonded and we connected. Mm. Um, And early on, we we like we would choose games to play and like be a part of together, and we would kind of choose the games based on like how we felt like it connected to like what we were going through. And these were definitely things that we were working through together as part mm-hmm. of our relationship. And so doing that in real time, but also like having the language and the tapestry of Twilight Princess to talk mm-hmm. about that and have that be mirrored back. Um, it was really meaningful and really powerful. And then there were things about that game that like we never could have anticipated. So... Um, when I was probably midway through the game, partner became very sick mm. and had to be hospitalized for a long time. And then when partner was well enough to come home was when I played through this scene where Midna is sick and you have to like get Midna through this dungeon and up to Zelda and then Zelda kind of helps her get better. <laughs> and... I, when I was playing this scene and partner was with me, I was, I was so, like, I was so emotional and I was so, like, back to the hospital and what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are parts when you're playing through this dungeon, this is very typical for a Zelda dungeon, that, like, there are distractions, you meet these new characters, and there's this one character in particular that is not called Blagelli, but I always call him Blagelli. His actual name is Giovanni. And this is a great moment to pause and just name and recognize that Nintendo traffics in cultural stereotypes 
So they're a Japanese gaming company. All of the creators are Japanese. And it's very much kind of viewing Western stereotypes and archetypes and culture through an Eastern lens. And sometimes it's really interesting, and sometimes it just feels like a negative stereotype. Mm. And one could certainly feel that when interacting with Giovanni. <laughs> that was not my issue with him. <laughs> but my you do have issue, an issue with him. I do have an issue with him. And my issue with him was that like, he really wanted to, like, there's a whole cutscene you can do with him. He wants to tell you all about his cats and his struggles and his jewels and his gold. And Are he's sure doing he all Jewish? of this. This feels like a Jew stereotype. Yeah, maybe they mixed it in. He's definitely, in his characterization, like, painted as, like, Mario's second cousin or something. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. But I'm with you. Maybe, like, he's called Giovanni. Maybe they were like, let's take an Italian stereotype and smash it into a Jewish one. Giovanni. (laughs) Anyway, I have this vivid memory of sitting there on the sofa in our apartment in Minneapolis playing through this cutscene and in the cutscene like you are link is a wolf because in the game he can switch between his human form and his wolf form and Minna is like sitting on his back just like wheezing oh no and so i'm just i'm sitting there and there is giovanni going on and on and on and i'm just like oh my god midna is dying I need you to stop talking because I need to get Midna help. And here's the thing that exactly mirrored the experience that partner and I had Mm -hmm. when he became ill and we were trying to move through the medical system and get him help. Mm -hmm. I was constantly interacting with people who I felt were acting, asking me ridiculous questions like, did your partner get in a bar fight last night? This is a direct quote when we went to the HCMCER. Bless them. I get why they asked me that. But also at the time, I was like, you just need to get him help. Right. Right. Stop showing me your cats. Right. Stop showing me your cats, Giovanni. I need, like, Midna is wheezing and dying. We need to get her some help. (laughs) And I think it was a really, for me, like a very cathartic experience Mm. to move through it again in the game. And it really gave me, like, clarity around what happened. It helped me, like, sit with more feelings. It helped me get validation. Um, I think in some ways it was a real post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. It took an experience that could have just turned into, like, a festering trauma. And this sequence that I played through in Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess, instead, it helped me give a framework for the struggle that I'd gone through. Mm Mm-hmm. And it helped me, like, make meaning out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you got to re-experience this distress Mm -hmm. in a safe way. Yes. And and get your needs met. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I just... What's coming up for me is this, this is so powerful... I mean, clearly it was very powerful for you. And mm-hmm. I mean, you can talk to so many folks in fandom. Yes. Who've had similar experiences of, I mean, not your exact experience, obviously, but right. something something traumatic happens and the story with which they are bonded yeah. helps them move through it in a different mm-hmm. way, in a way that they feel more powerful. And maybe they didn't feel powerful before. 
Yeah. Or that they have more choice, I think, is a better way to say it. Yes. Because it's not that you're, you know, powerful like, I don't know, a bomb. Like, you're... (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't have a master sword. I'm not going to, like, defeat Ganon Mm -hmm. with my golden arrows. No. But you have more choice. Yes. Yeah. And that's a huge deal. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, Ganon really saves lives. It does. In part because it gives us a story structure mm-hmm. that helps us understand ourselves and events. And story is kind of fundamental to how we understand ourselves and the world around us. It's also really fundamental to how we make meaning. I mean, how The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess helped me make meaning is that though I did not like literally defeat Ganon, <laughs> nor was I the person who like provided the medical care that ultimately saved my partner Mm -hmm. i was instrumental in getting them to the people who could save them right in the same way that like link as a wolf was instrumental in getting midnight to zelda who is then able to save and help her and i don't think at that point because it was so soon after this series of really traumatic events happened i don't think i that wasn't clear to me, but it mm-hmm. became clear to me in playing this game. Mm-hmm. Right. It gave you a safe way to reflect. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, what happens with trauma, and, you know, for folks who haven't maybe experienced it, it's, it's like you're living it now all the time. Yeah. It's, it's the, it, oh, what's that phrase you use? The, con, the, the forever now? the the constant now the infinite now infinite now there it is beautiful well done (laughs) (laughs) that that trauma is happening constantly in the infinite now Mm -hmm. um and this gives an opportunity to to make some space and and give you the opportunity to reflect to be like this isn't happening right now Mm mm-hmm this happened in the past and it was hard and it was awful, but it's not yeah. happening right now. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm just putting this together in this infinite now of the moment, which is one of the things that is central to internal family systems. This mm-hmm. idea that um, consciousness is multifaceted. There are lots of parts that then mm-hmm. work together in an integrated fashion <clears throat> to form the conscious you, conscious me. And central to this idea is this idea of the self, who's sort mm-hmm. of like the leader, but also something that I've recently come to understand about the self is it's also the part that bears compassionate witness mm-hmm. yeah. to what's going on. And when you are in the moment, like being traumatized, you often don't have access to that. Right. But part of how you heal from the trauma in your past is being able to access that self Mm -hmm. who can bear compassionate witness to what happened to you. Mm -hmm. And playing, I mean, playing that section of the video game absolutely helped me access that. Right. Yeah, self was able to to be there. And, Mm -hmm. And wow, we went through a lot. Yeah. I couldn't see it before. 
Because mm-hmm. my my sight was being blinded by all this mm-hmm. all this trauma fog. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I mean, I don't know enough about message boards related to Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. Perhaps this experience is quite common for this game. Mm-hmm. One of the games that I know is for sure a go-to for folks in terms of reprocessing a traumatic experience mm-hmm. is in a way that feels healing and helpful mm-hmm. is the video game journey. You've talked about that one before. Remind me. what is What is that one? Journey is... It is the hero's it is the hero's journey in its most basic form. Mm-hmm. It walks you through that wheel of like the beginning, the guide, um, crossing over to the supernatural realm, mm-hmm. going into like hell, the pit of darkness, losing something, experiencing transformation, and then bringing that back to community, mm-hmm. that gift of transformation. And it does it in this beautifully like archetypal, so using symbols of the collective unconscious to tell that story. Um, And it's in some ways very like nonspecific, like it's not grounded in any particular reality or culture. It very much is using as close to like the archetype as it can. Mm -hmm. And people like really, they really respond to this game. Mm. And it's often like this very emotional journey. Or I should say, like, like, it kind of breaks down into two camps. Either you play this game and you're like, oh my god, post-traumatic growth has happened for me. Mm-hmm. I have taken, I have relived and reflected on a traumatic experience, and now I have learned from it and I've grown from it, and this, this video game helped me do that. Or a person plays it and they're like, get this away from me. Mm, because it's uncomfortable or because it doesn't feel resonant? My take is, I think, because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Folks who I've heard talk about it are like, no, it just didn't, didn't do anything for me. So, which to me feels like managers showing mm-hmm. up. Yeah, th- this, I mean, definitely feels like IFS part stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, that's uncomfortable. Let, you know what? We don't like this game. Like, you're right. We don't like this game. Let's get rid of this. <laughs> yeah, like it's making us feel things that we don't want to have access to right now. Mm-hmm. And probably an additional factor, too, is going back to accessibility, that you are literally having to play the game with a video game controller. And if you're sitting down to play it and you're not familiar with video games, Mm -hmm. even though I think Journey is a simpler version, or it doesn't require the same kind of technical skill as many video games do, if you're brand new, if you're a total noob, like, Justine, if you sat down and played Journey... Mm I don't know how transformative it would feel because you'd be like, oh my God, how do I make sure I'm skating on the sand in the correct way? (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I, right, I, I would be too in my parts about how I'm playing. Well said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, something we talk about in therapy all the time, process versus content. Ooh, please say more. Yeah, so um, in the therapy world, and you may have experienced this, friends at home, if you see a therapist, that you might be saying something like, oh, my partner never empties the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. And your therapist says something like, 
how does it feel when your partner doesn't empty the dishwasher? And you're like, I don't want to talk about how I feel. I want to talk about how pissed off I am. Uh, <laughs> yes. The yes. content that you are bringing is my partner doesn't empty the dishwasher. And, mm -hmm. and your therapist could leave it at that, right? They could leave it at mm -hmm. content. They could talk to you all day about, about how to empty dishwashers, right? But, but the goal of therapy is to move out of content into process, mm -hmm. which if yeah. you can think of like content as being on the surface of the water and the process mm -hmm. is diving deep down underneath it. Yeah. Because the, the reality is there's a reason that it bothers you that your partner doesn't empty the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. There is a feeling that comes up for you that is likely tied to other memories or interactions yes. with your partner. And if we mm -hmm. focus on the dishwasher and we never extrapolate out, then, then we're not growing. Like we we're getting better at dishwashers. We sure are. <laughs> mm -hmm. But we're not getting more insight and we're not improving our our interpersonal right. relationships. Mm -hmm. Um and so just Loris, as you were talking about this, I was thinking, well, if I'm focused on how to play the game, right. I'm focused on content. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the real healing comes from process. Yes. And that also brings up another psychological concept, this idea of it being in flow. Mm -hmm. Flow being that experience of you have done the activity so many times that it feels as if your body knows how to do the actions without your brain having to tell it to. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you are just there in the infinite now in a state of pure being and pure action mm -hmm. and folks who have played video games for hundreds of thousands of hours from the time they were small humans will talk about how like they love the opportunity when they're playing to be in that state of flow mm -hmm. i don't know if i ever experienced flow during my playing of the Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. <laughs> oh. Yeah, because of the Wiimote. Because <laughs> of the Wiimote. And how inexperienced, how, how long it had been since I had last played video games. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was probably, it was probably like a variety of factors, including the fact that Zelda has a lot of cutscenes, which are basically just like you sit and you watch this cinematic moment. So though I wasn't really able to achieve flow in mm -hmm. playing The Legend of Zelda the first time around, um, because there are these cinematic cutscenes that usually happen after like a very, very hard playthrough, and I was having a very, very hard playthrough. Mm -hmm. Much harder than I think like the designers of the game intended. Like they, they designed the game so it's challenging. It was extra challenging for me because I was a 25-year-old human who hadn't played games in almost 15 years trying to get through a Zelda dungeon. <laughs> so like the relief I felt when I was done matched both the technical aspects of the game and like the narrative arc. Mm -hmm. 
And thus I was able to get the emotional cathartic payoff. Yeah. And, and you were drawn to do more. Yes. Because I, I could see how this could have ended <laughs> with throwing a Wiimote out the window and never playing again. Yes. And I think my partner was like, a, there were many times when I would play with a high, with, with like a lot of Dracarys energy. <laughs> and partner was concerned that I would indeed open the window on the whatever floor we were on in our apartment and just throw the Wiimote out and it would be done. <laughs> um, that didn't happen because I think for a couple reasons. One is that if I'm not good at something, part of my Spocky and personality is that like I will just keep doing it until I get better. That's cool. Well, I mean, really, because like that's... That's not my first instinct, if I'm not immediately good at something. Uh-huh. That, yeah, that fits. Well, that, that feels like Kirk. Like, I'm not immediately good at this. Maybe I shouldn't do it. And there's, it's all about, like, a balance. Like, there mm -hmm. needs to be an internal conversation between those two poles of, like, hey, if I'm not good at something or I'm not having fun, I could stop. Mm-hmm. I'm very much the opposite extreme where I'm like, if I'm not good at something, I'm like, I better just bear down. <laughs> it's the geography keep... thing all over again. It is. I'm, I'm just going to keep doing it until I get better. I know that I can. Um, so it was that in combination with, I think, two other big things. The first of which was, I really love video games and I loved them from the time I was a little kid. And so I, I knew that, like, I knew there'd be payoff if I just kept practicing. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I could eventually get better. And then it also was very much a part of like the partnership that I was building with my partner. Because mm -hmm. video games were so important to him and it became a part of just like, not just our connection, but like our language and how we talked about care and quality time and words of affirmation. Yeah, but that makes so much sense about the, the, the language piece. Because we talk a lot about the when you have a shared fandom, yes, you have a short, you have an automatic shortcut to understanding. Mm -hmm. And so, if you can have that in your romantic relationship, what a huge deal! Yeah, because you you've already got this shared language, and you mm -hmm. can talk about you know, uh, there's just a lot of chickens and pots. That's like all I know about Zelda. <laughs> you know though a partner has said that to me like <laughs> after like in an attempt to describe a hard day at work been like mm -hmm. i was just chasing chickens all day oh yeah mm -hmm. and immediately immediately yeah. you understand immediately i'm like oh i remember that because every zelda game has chickens and it's so frustrating <laughs> Breath of the Wild changed so much about playing Zelda. They kept the chickens. Oh, they're like, we can't lose those, man. No, they're very important to the makers of Zelda games. And like, fair, some people really enjoy them. That, that's nice. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you have this built-in language. And that's, I can see how that would 
that would be really meaningful. Yeah. And and it would be a positive feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Oh, well said. Yes. Which we mean not in the, like, uh, communications theory sense. No, that's a... I hate... I hate how fucked up that is. Yes. So... <laughs> If this makes sense to you, listeners at home, great. We'll talk about it some other time where it actually applies. We're not going to talk about it here in detail. We're only going to reference it and say that's not what we mean. What we mean here is like in the sense of positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. That every time I would play, I would get like, you know, I would get positive feelings. I would get that like endorphin hit, that dopamine mm -hmm. hit, because it was not just about how I'm doing in the game. It was like partners there and then we can talk about it and... It, it felt wholly positive. Mm -hmm. Well, most of the time. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like even if it wasn't wholly positive, there, there were aspects to take away. Yes. Well said. Yeah. Well, what do you want people to know about video games who maybe aren't gamers? Oh, what do I want people to know? Um... That video games do make you feel things, mm -hmm. but they don't make you behave differently. Mm. So, like, just to, like, really go there, I am not a more violent person mm -hmm. because I play video games that involve violence. When I sit down and I'm playing Dragon Age, which is especially if you're playing Dragon Age Origins, which I have now twice played, <laughs> um, you are going to play that game and you are going to be like, oh my god, I'm so angry. <laughs> and sometimes you're angry because of the violence and sometimes you're angry because the camera angle is once again on the floor. And your character's dying. <laughs> and you just can't get the camera angle to move. Right? And so then, yes, I'm experiencing feelings of frustration and anger and mm -hmm. disappointment. And then I will sometimes need to pause the game and figure out how am I going to deal with these emotions. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make me, like, leave the game, walk out, and throw something at my partner because mm -hmm. I'm upset. Right. And, I mean, part of that is that you have... You have yes. good emotion regulation. Um, mm -hmm. And also, I think what you're speaking to is this larger idea that video games make people violent. Yes. Which is a narrative that's been hanging around for the better part of 30 years at this point. Yes. You know, as soon as, soon as we got video games that had violence mm -hmm. in the same way that, you know, the first the first movie had violence the first tv show had mm -hmm. violence the you know the first radio program had violence <laughs> yes um all the way back to frankenstein probably um oh true is that there you know there is a group of morality police who believe that it's you know rotting our minds and hurting our children mm -hmm. which i mean i I feel like that comes from a well-intentioned place sometimes. Yeah. Or it starts in a well-intentioned place. Um, mm -hmm. And then it becomes citizens with pitchforks. Um, yes. But 
in, I mean, both in your life as well as in the research, mm -hmm. video games do not cause violence. No, there's not a direct relationship. Mm -hmm. The most we can say, and this is very much true to my experiences, <clears throat> they do evoke feelings. Mm -hmm. That's part of why we're attracted to them, the same way that we're attracted to any other kind of art. Hmm. Movies, TV, music, paintings, ballet. Well, right. And I mean, maybe it's just me, but I don't want to engage in something, generally speaking. I don't want to engage in something that elicits nothing. I mean, sometimes I do. Right. Like, I'm currently watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine, mostly because it elicits <laughs> nothing. Yes. Fair. I'm rewatching Parks and Recreation. Like, very much elicits very little mm -hmm. other than like look at these people in community mm -hmm. i like community yeah i'll be like mm, this is like a sorbet for the mind mm -hmm. it's got a little bit of flavor but mostly it's just ice yeah <laughs> and you and if you want to like relax unwind mm -hmm. get into kind of a chill place and then you really ignore the problematic elements for me and parks and rec joe biden Mm -hmm. For you and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, police. <laughs> right, yeah. That's when we stick with content. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't dive down into the process. Yeah. No. Floating but, on the surface. Yeah. Floating on content C. <laughs> to go back to, like, your actual point is that we often we are engaging with these different forms mm -hmm. of art to feel something to connect with something, to process something. Mm -hmm. And yes, are there problematic elements of video games? 1,000%. Mm -hmm. Is it more than other kinds of media? My personal opinion is no. And I think with any kind of art, it is helpful to approach video games with a critical lens and also looking at them too as an opportunity to learn how to sit with big feelings hmm. you know back when i was an in-home family therapist and i was working with kids i would play games with them all the time sometimes those games were video games and it was and we would do that because it was a great way in a safe contained social environment mm -hmm. to figure out what do we do when we have big feelings yeah exactly yeah and that i mean that's the opportunity to have the in vivo experience yeah mm-hmm it Live and in person. Live and in person. I'll never forget. This one kid I was working with, we'd play Mario Kart. And ironically enough, whenever, when I would lose or when they would lose, they would have a big feeling sometimes. Either way. Either way. They, they really wanted me to win. <laughs> <laughs> they were wonderful. Like, just... I just, like, hold all the kids I worked with when I was an in-home family therapist in a place of such, like, love and compassion. Mm -hmm. And they are all emerging adults, and wherever each of them are, I hope that they are doing things that spark joy for them. Mm. But at any rate, so this was such a great opportunity to play this Mario Kart game, because this would invoke big feelings. Mm -hmm. And it was a great opportunity in real time to sit with, okay, what do we do when we're frustrated? Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the things that I was working on modeling was like, yeah, I'm losing, but I'm having a good time. It was so much fun to jump on this flower. <laughs> and it got to a point where like we'd play and they would look at me and they'd be like, you're losing, but you're having fun. That's the point. 
And I was like, yeah. <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> Maybe I can take that in because I don't like Mario Kart either. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it can be very overstimulating. It's, so, there's so much going on. There's so much going on. <laughs> Why are there so many things happening? Yeah, it's really overwhelming. And what's road? <laughs> what's not road? These are these are important questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. This was a game that was clearly made for someone who had like five to ten years of gaming under their belt already. I guess because I <laughs> I I try Mario because my partner likes Mario Kart. He's like, let's play Mario Kart, and I'm like, I want to engage in quality time with you. Yeah. I will lose because I don't understand this game. <laughs> it's very challenging. There's so much happening. Because, you know, I only like also... one thing to be happening at a time. I do know that. Well, and this brings up, like, sometimes for people who don't like or have a hard time with video games, it's a sensory thing. Mm-hmm. It feels like an overload of sensory information. It's too much. Mm-hmm. Mario Kart you know, really, it can have that issue. Yeah. Too much happening. Yeah. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Now I want them to come out with like a Mario Kart with 75% less happening. Yeah, that'd be great. Because you love driving games. Like you'd tell me about how you'd go to the arcade and you loved, you'd love to drive. uh, There was actually, it was a computer game. (laughs) Oh, that's right. It was a computer game. And I did love it. And I got to shift gears. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty sweet. I learned later I wasn't doing it right. <laughs> like, from a driving a car perspective. <laughs> <laughs> that happened to our producer as well. When he was taught to drive a stick <clears throat> by his father, he was like, I've got this, Dad. <laughs> I've done this on, I don't remember what the game was, but he was like, I've done this on this video game. I can do this. And his dad was like, okay, show me how it's done. Great. The engine died. To to be fair, my mom Mm -hmm. taught me wrong how to drive a stick. I had to unlearn how she taught me. Jesus. Yeah. No. That fits. So, as a a side note, parents need more support in this country. (laughs) Well, and I think it's nice that we can share some of these anecdotes from our childhood. Mm -hmm. I think from from a real space of compassion and non-attachment. Absolutely. Because, like, I was mad at the time, but, like, my parents, they were were trying to do what they thought was right for me. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to be supportive of my imagination and creative skills. And clearly, they were in some ways. Mm -hmm. And that has absolutely had a positive impact for what I do now as an adult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to be sure to say about video games before we start winding down? Your experience or the, the greater collective unconscious um no i actually don't think so i think we have said a lot about video games i there's more that we could say but i think this is a perfectly 
serviceable place to stop. I'm going to list some of my favorites. You'll see them on the liner notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have tried to include ones that I think are challenging and also ones that I think are far more user-friendly. Um, games like Year Walk and Animal Crossing, um, Journey to a certain extent, Monument Valley. These are games that if you're interested after listening to this episode, but you're like, oh my god, I've never played a game or I haven't played a game in years, those are nice places to start and mm-hmm. kind of ease your way in. Yeah. I I enjoyed the game that you wrecked me, which was Night in the Woods. Mm-hmm. That was that was delightful. Who who doesn't want to be an anthropomorphic cat? Right. And then go out back and break things with their fox best friend. Yeah, have a knife fight. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not mad. You're just, it's just playing. No. Mm-hmm. Yep, Greg was all about the play. Yeah, I I don't condone knife fights, though. I just No, to be clear. <laughs> was not a podcast that is pro-knife fighting. <laughs> This is a podcast that is pro video gaming, and if you must play out fighting, use uh, Carl Whitaker's Batonka sticks. <laughs> that's a that's a real thing, friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we may be at the helm of the ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duffy, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therence. What you playing, boo? Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the very best way that you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and especially review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. We are also available on Stitcher and Spotify. So many ways to get your Starship Therapies on. Just a reminder that our book, Starship Therapies, Using Therapeutic Fan Fiction to Rewrite Your Life, is now available for pre-order from your favorite booksellers. So order yourself a copy, or two, or three, and share the news with your social networks. And as always, friends, live live long and and prosper. prosper.